0: Hi, welcome back to The Horrors. Hi, I'm Elise. I'm Shay. Happy Wednesday. Happy
1: Saturday. Happy... It's Thursday. Thursday. (laughs) It's not
0: Saturday. I know that. I know that for sure. We should say Wednesday, but we know something you don't know. We actually record on Thursdays. (laughs) We used to record on Mondays
1: pretty consistently, but we're doing Thursdays now.
0: Season two was time for a change. Yeah, and
1: I feel like my energy is better on Thursday nights anyway, because just one more day left in the week... It just feels a little bit better, I guess.
0: Thursday night was always like a good night because my mom would always get pizza on Thursday nights when I was growing up. Thursday was like payday for her. So she was like, okay, pizza. Aww. So it was always nice. And Wednesday nights were CCD and I hated that. Ew fucking ccd so at least when i was sitting in ccd class i could look forward to pizza the next night and like think about it that way public school kids who had catholic families know the
1: struggle of ccd
0: i don't even claim a catholic family i claim isn't there a term for like eastern christmas churchgoers like there's there's a name for them i don't
1: know what it is
0: whatever that was my family was a step down from that like my parents and they still made
1: you do ccd
0: you know, maybe they saw the burgeoning queer and it was just like, all right, let's nip this shit in the bud. But no, I think it's mostly because my extended family is pretty like Catholic. So my dad was like, all right, let's just fucking save face and get this shit on the road. My brother, who's in high school now, has never gone to CCD. My sister yeah. and I did. So it's like they dropped the act after a decade, but <laughs> the traumatized act. me in the process. Oh my goodness.
1: Well, that kind of reminds me of other sacrilegious things. Is that That's the word, right?
0: Sacrilegious? You know, that's one of those words that like people say it. Same with like dogmatic. And I want to know what they mean, but I don't know what they mean. Dogmatic is like controlling, aggressive. I'm I guess I see sure. dogs as just so silly that I don't make the <laughs> connotation
1: between the two. Sacrilegious. Yeah, it is a word.
0: I am really surprised
1: with how it is spelled. S-A-C-R-I-L-E-G-I-O-U-S. You think it would be like religious, like sacrilegious, but it's like...
0: It's a criligious. Yeah. That's a spelling bee word.
1: I wouldn't even make it to that point in the spelling bee. I'm I'm so bad at spelling. If I could like write it down, that'd be one thing. But like
0: sight unseen? uh Uh-uh. No,
1: man. I just spell it wrong all the time. I just spell everything wrong all the time. I don't know what happened to me. (laughs) (laughs) That I can't do it. I mean, you're an English person. I don't know. Something about the letters. Like, it doesn't... Compute? Yeah. Like, I get really tripped up. Usually with, like, I's and E's, whatever before is what. And sometimes, I don't know, C's and S's. I mean, I'm making myself sound like I don't know how to spell anything. I can spell some things and I've gotten better.
0: (laughs) But I really do rely very much on autocorrect. From someone who worked in food for a long time, I could never spell restaurant. Yeah, I probably still spell that wrong especially because people say it restaurant and it's restaurant uh it's much more bougie
1: restaurant
0: there's a lot of use in there by many i think there's just one all
1: right well wow i just completely made myself sound like a fucking idiot so now that i've done that <laughs> we can get back to you sacrilegious, know- the sacrilegious thing i was gonna say sure well what were you gonna say though Let's just not talk about what I was going to say ever. Let's make it a game.
0: I was going to say you don't sound as silly or as foolish as our protagonists in this movie oh, did. You beat me to the transition. That's what I thought yours were going to be transitioned. <laughs> so you could do it. You could do well, it. Well, I was just
1: going to say. Speaking of sacrilegious, we're going to be talking about witches
0: or supposed witches,
1: supposed witches,
0: rumored witches, silly witches. Blair Witches. <laughs> so, this week we're talking about the Blair Witch Project. Yes, which has been on
1: our agenda for quite a while and we finally got to do it, which was cool.
0: Yeah. And this movie's interesting in the sense where there's only one lady to really focus on. Well, maybe you could argue that there's two.
1: Obviously, like the
0: lore is that the witch is a
1: woman, but at the same time, it almost seems like the witch is a man.
0: Well, I have background on that. <gasps> I'm so excited. But yeah, Blair Witch Project came out in 1999, so when we were a ripe five and... I was four. Four years old. Yeah. So we weren't watching this shit when it came out. No.
1: And I've heard about this movie. This is one of the movies that my dad always insisted was so scary. And I think part of the reason he thinks it's so scary is because of the experience he actually had afterward. So... For those of you who don't know, but everyone probably knows and you could probably assume Blair Witch takes place almost entirely in the forest. And my dad was visiting his friend in Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania, which is a really wooded area. And he was driving home after watching Blair Witch. It was, I think, early 2000, so it was already out of theaters. And he was driving home and there was a car that was following behind him really close, like a pickup truck. And he... At first, I didn't realize that this person was sort of following him, but then he kind of would speed up to try to get rid of the guy and he would tail him. He would speed up, slow down with my dad. And so he was kind of confused. So he took some weird roads because he knows that area pretty well. He's also like, I don't know how he has a brain that just knows where he is all the time. It's like so crazy, especially because I have nothing. I have none of that in me. (laughs) Right. I have none of that makeup in my brain. And he took all these crazy roads and this guy like stayed on his tail. So eventually he was able to shake him, but he said he was like for 15 miles, roughly, this guy was like behind me when I was trying to get home and it was really scary.
0: Damn. Isn't that nuts? see in my mind i was about to make some connection about how like dudes just won't stop for directions so in my mind maybe this dude was like yo i'm in a wooded fucking area and there's a guy in front of me so i'm just gonna follow him and he's gonna get to the highway eventually (laughs) you know what i mean like that's (laughs) that's it's like no please like dude slow
1: down slow down like i'm just trying to follow you back to the highway there's no fucking street lights (laughs) in here i don't know where the
0: fuck i am (laughs) Well, I say that knowing that I would be so fucking terrified if it was, you know. Oh,
1: my gosh. Yeah. our
0: sociological lady brains would be like, oh, my God, I'm, I'm dead already. I.
1: Oh, my God, I can't. I can't. I can't. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, it was early 2000s, I guess. I don't know when GPS were invented, but they probably weren't as easily. They weren't, like, in our phones or no. nobody had GPS devices in I don't like even think cell phones were, like, that big True, of a thing you're yet. right. So because maybe it really was somebody who was just trying to follow a knowledgeable yeah. looking jeep out of the jim thorpe woods
0: you know are the characters in this movie are trying to follow water to get to the road and this guy's would just follow the headlights to to make it back to civilization but... I, well i hope he made it out okay <laughs> if that was the case i'm glad that your dad lived to tell the tale <laughs> me too yeah <laughs> So I'm going to do something similar to what we did with Jennifer's Body, where I'm going to give a little bit of background about how the film came to be, because this film really is credited in creating current marketing strategies for films, just because it did so many things that films hadn't done before, and that's part of the reason it became such a success. And I just think it's really cool, so I just wanted to give that context. (laughs) Ah! Before we dive into Blair Witch Project. So I got information from an article called The Blair Witch Extended Universe, How a Tiny Indie Film Became a Horror Sensation and Invented Modern Movie Marketing by Alyssa Bereznak from 2019. So according to her article, she says that directors Myrick and Sanchez planned to tell their story in the form of a documentary padded with faux news clippings and fake interviews that discussed how the missing filmmakers footage had been found in the abandoned home of Rustin Parr, a man who killed seven children in his woodland home in the 1940s and blamed their deaths on the so-called Blair Witch. So just so we're all following along, They are making this film about a man who blamed his murders on an urban legend the blair witch that's so much like last
1: week with the lore of the changelings and the man who killed his wife because he insisted she was a changeling ooh you're right we got this lore we got this murder inspiring lore theme wow we love a wooded witch of the west i <laughs>
0: don't <laughs> specifically the west
1: specifically the specifically west specifically
0: of the green color <laughs> actually it's not the west at all this takes place in maryland Either way, so just so we're clear about this, the legend of the Blair Witch was made up by the directors and this story about this man who is recalling the Blair Witch has also been made up by the directors. Okay, that's what I thought. This is two layers of made upness, but they take the ambiguity of something like the legend of the Blair Witch that there could be a story time on YouTube about it. There could be like a weird Reddit forum about it. If I had like come to you and be like, oh, have you ever heard of like this urban legend? It has believability to it, because this witch who killed children in the 1800s, like, yeah, Puritan shit. That sounds like it could be. Yeah, right, 100%. 100%. So they filmed the movie initially, and they found an investor, and this investor ran their found footage on the IFC channel's show Split Screen, which helped curiosity begin to brood online. Because you have to think about it, that in 1997, when they were like creating this film, only 23% of Americans were actually using the internet regularly. Wow, how times change. Exactly. But these directors saw that as an opportunity of like, there's a collective of people that are willing to really dig in deep and willing to do their research. So let's try to engage them. And by going to TV first, they were sending essentially those internet folks a place to- go and talk about it the IFC or the split screen website ended up getting a lot of traffic from this and people like sharing things that they've heard about or things that they've looked up about it again this urban legend is completely made up but it drew the directors to eventually build their own site which consisted of still photos from the movie and scanned pages of Heather's journal rumored to be buried under a house in the woods filling in the gaps that the movie would eventually leave and building like the Blair Witch universe So again, they are running this movie as not a movie. They're revealing it as this was found footage that we found in the woods in the story of three people they are missing. Like, this is true. That's so genius.
1: I feel like honing in on that idea, like that feeling of, oh my God, this crazy shit happened here. This crazy shit happened before, like honing in on that feeling alone and making it what surrounds this horror movie is amazing because the movie isn't what happens to them. It's what we find out happens to them, which is just crazy.
0: No, it is because, I mean, especially in the beginning, it's just these three amateurs trying to make a really deep, (laughs) meaningful documentary, and then it's really just about catching what ends up happening and it doesn't have an agenda besides that they're trying to bring some truth or bring some lore to this idea of the Blair Witch which they assume has an element of truth to it because they're choosing it as a right basis of a documentary but we know that the Blair Witch in terms of you know, mythology or whatever isn't an actual thing outside of this universe, but these people don't know that. So it got to the point where the directors were sending out a newsletter that fans could sign up for, where the directors would update them on the status of making the film, because these directors were passing themselves off as just these holders of the tapes, and then they were going through and finding out all these things, and they were trying to put it all together. So in 1999, which is the year that the movie was released, they put together a mockumentary about the Blair Witch. So, again, just this legend and the disappearance of these three people that was ran on the Sci-Fi Channel. So it's a legitimate 45-minute documentary, quote unquote, entitled The Curse of the Blair Witch. And the program offers first-hand interviews with several fictional colleagues and relatives of Heather Donahue, Josh Leonard, and Michael Williams, including their supposed college film professor. But again, all of these people are but no one knows that. Were they using their real names? Yes.
1: Wow, that's very host. It is.
0: <laughs> it is because all the actors and actresses in that movie are just regular people. Yeah. They, they went by their real oh names. Oh my god, that's crazy! So they released this documentary, The Curse of the Blair Witch. And again, it's like any other procedural where they're interviewing like the victims' families and the people who last saw them alive and stuff like that. And these directors are really just trying to be essentially like podcasters, you know, aggregating this information and being able to tell a story and tell it out and make a movie about what they found. That leads up to the release of the film. So it released in 1999. It was shot for estimated around $60,000 and grossed $248 million. Holy. At one point, at least in the horror sphere, I don't know about Total, but at least in the horror community, it held the title for the highest grossing low budget film until Paranormal Activity, because Paranormal Activity was shot for 15000 and made wow. over oh my God. Yeah, it made over 193 million. Wow! So the percentage, even though Blair Witch has made more, the percentage of the buyback was higher in Paranormal Mm -hmm. Activity, but it held that record for a while in terms of how a decade, yeah, yeah, of how inexpensive it was to make. After filming, the actors were asked not to appear in any television shows or any films as the filmmaker made great advertising efforts to perpetuate the events in the film as factual, including distribution of missing persons flyers at festivals and asking viewers to come forward with any information about the missing students. That's from the Wikipedia. Wow. Yeah.
1: Do you think they knew ahead of time that they would be asked not to appear in any other things?
0: I'm not sure. I know they were relatively nobodies to begin with. Like, they didn't have, like, IMDb pages. This wasn't, like, an entry-level role for
1: them. It was just kind of something that they ended up doing as a once-and-done deal anyway.
0: Well, I think it was an entry-level role for them. Because mm-hmm. I know at least Heather Heather Donahue, she's from Upper Darby, PA, and went to the University of the Arts in Philly. Like, she was an acting student. Like, she could have been an acting student or a film student who just went missing. True. Because she was like... so
1: interesting. Yeah, so that the role in the movie really does kind of correlate with her life. Exactly. Wow.
0: Their IMDb pages listed the actors as missing, presumed dead for the first year of the film's availability. And the promotion for the film was so convincing that Donahue's mother received sympathy cards.
1: I wonder if people were freaking out about Hollywood capitalizing on a tragedy. Like, I wonder if there were like articles and blogs that existed freaking out.
0: Yeah, that's a good question. I don't have anything about that. But what was cool about it is so it premiered at Sundance and the executive producer encouraged the office employees to essentially make bootlegs of it because they really wanted it to seem like it was this found footage. So it's almost like a weird YouTube video that just pops up and everyone's like looking at it because it's viral. Like, have you seen that Cecil Hotel documentary on Netflix? I saw the first episode. Where it's like, everyone looked up that fucking surveillance video, right? Yes. Like, everyone's looking it up. So by just having something on a VHS and being like, dude, check this out, not knowing that it's a movie or thinking that it's like a documentary. And that's the thing. Like, it doesn't read as a documentary when you're watching it. Like, it's literally just an aggregate of footage that's just put together. It's a yeah. documentary about people trying to make a documentary and then shit right. goes wrong. Mm-hmm. So then there's some cool stuff about how this was shot, obviously, because it's like, okay, it cost $60,000 to make. What did that entail? You know, part of it was probably paying the actors next to nothing, right? Because it was their initial role. And advertising, it seems like they put a lot of time and effort into that. That's the thing, though. They did, but they didn't. Hmm. Because they had investors that liked the idea so much that they put them on their show Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And then they built a website. Wow. And then it was like this idea of word of mouth bootlegs and stuff like that. Part of the appeal was there was this niche internet community that was talking so much about it that it was doing the advertising for them. Huh. It's
1: fucking smart.
0: In terms of how the movie was actually shot, so it was completely improvised. There was no script or anything. All of these scenes were just made up by the actors. But what was cool was the directors provided the actors GPSs and programmed locations for instructions to be picked up in the woods every single day so the directors would put you know those little like film canisters that you would drop off when you had like old cameras yes, yes they would put instructions for each actor in a film canister in a milk carton in the woods and track like a gps location for them to pick it up at the beginning of every day and the actors couldn't show their instructions to one another but they were pretty much given like the direction that they wanted the scene to play out in but <laughs> okay. how it happened was completely up to them it's like a f- like improv game on crack pretty much <laughs> because that's the thing they were sleeping in the woods they shot it in eight days and came out with over 20 hours of footage
1: doesn't the movie seems to take place over not eight days but like it is, just well, about. it is yeah
0: just about wow okay It was shot completely by the actors, so every time you're hearing, like, Heather be like, get the dad or get the camcorder, it's legitimately Michael, Josh, or Heather operating it. Okay. Which leads to its, like, found footage way. And then, obviously, the actors cited a lot of psychological distress filming the movie because all of the scenes that you hear in the nighttime where you're hearing babies crying and you're hearing people yelling and banging and snicks and... And... (laughs) Snicks. Snicks. Snicky snake. You hear A snickers snick. in the dark. <laughs> Angry. <laughs> Blair Witch, you're not you anyway. <laughs> But every time you hear like cackles in the night and sticks breaking and everything like that that's the producers going out and fucking with them in the middle of the night like they didn't anticipate those things so their reactions them crying the level of deprivation that you know in terms of food and water and sleep were all completely true they knew they were filming a movie but they didn't know necessarily like when it was gonna stop oh
1: that's awful but also i think it had the intended results
0: And that's the thing. That's part of the reason I like the movie is because it is authentic. Like, even listening to their conversations kind of go in circles and them repeating themselves and then talking over one another. Like, it's not... It's not polished, but it's real. You know what I mean? I agree. I I felt like it was
1: really believable in that way. And I also noticed they all kind of take turns like being the rational person or being the one who needs a moment or being the one who's angry. And I thought that that seemed realistic, too. You saw positive parts of all of them and you saw the flawed parts of all of them, which makes sense in a traumatizing situation like that. All those sides might come out.
0: Yeah, But that's all I have for context. Generally, what did you think about the movie? I liked
1: it. I mean, I didn't think it was as terrifying as I think I expected it to be. I think part of that, though, is that there weren't any jump scares. And usually the type of scares that make me the most upset are jump scares. But I thought that going into it, like knowing that because they gave a little blurb in the beginning, like this footage was found, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, right away that it's not going to end well. And I think that watching that slow sort of decline creates a really unnerving, icky sort of feeling and seeing how the events kind of progress and progress and also not knowing what's going to happen along with them, I think adds to that as well. But I liked it and I'm glad that I saw it.
0: Yeah. And I think because I watched it again and I was like yeah I'm kind of like bored I'm annoyed like and I don't know if it's because I've watched it a couple times before but I also think it's the idea that we're going into it knowing it's a horror movie so we are almost kind of on our guard for things that we're used to being scared by but I'm trying to humble myself and think about those like creepy you know YouTube videos that people upload with no context like just like the Cecil surveillance footage and I'm scared as shit to watch that so i imagine Mm. if i'd gone into this just knowing that i might watch somebody die or i might watch something that like is so real yeah i'd be i'd be absolutely shitting bricks i think people reacted the same way to paranormal activity because i don't think anyone necessarily believed that that was true but still the idea of like you had a found footage renaissance and then it went away and then paranormal activity really kind of brought it back in terms of it being seen as a legitimate form or like a preferred form of providing scares. Mm -hmm. I've heard somebody say this before and I can't remember who, but it's almost like found footage trains you to be terrified of a shot. It trains you to be terrified of... A point of view just of a tilt of a camera you don't need to see anything and that's the thing like spoiler alert you don't see a witch no you don't see shit Mm -mm. and that's almost what's so great about it is because you know that when you see a black screen and you're hearing like the tent zipping that you know shit's gonna go down right or you know when they turn off the camera for the night you know that next scene is going to be like them hearing shit Mm -hmm. and then like breathing heavy and them reacting. It holds similar cues, but it teaches you just to be afraid of what's not on screen.
1: And also your focus is on their human emotion. You
0: know what I mean? Like instead of
1: like last week we were like, oh, that looks like a baby Groot. (laughs) (laughs) This week there was nothing to really make fun of. I mean, I guess you can make fun of their acting, but I don't know. I thought their acting was good.
0: Mm -hmm. So it just felt uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, let's get into it. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah.
1: Okay. So we start. We have our three film students, Heather Donahue, Michael Williams, and Josh Leonard. We start with Heather. This is kind of her brainchild. She's the one that's in charge of this shoot. And her classmate, Josh, is working with her on this project. They need a third guy who knows how to use the cameras they get Josh's friend, Mike, to come along for the journey. And something I thought was interesting is that Heather and Mike never knew each other before this, and yet they were going on a camping trip overnight. They're You know, doing some filming and doing the overnight in the woods, which I thought was pretty bold. She seemed to trust Josh a lot. They were a trio. They were going to go do this thing, and they seemed really positive about it at the start. It was cute. We had all those shots of, like, saying bye to their moms and, like, getting in the car and then their first night in the, the motel hotel situation before they, like, went into the woods and, like, drinking beer, taking shots, like it was a cool establishing moment, kind of getting to know them and their dynamic.
0: Mike is on sound. And then Josh is filming with what they call the DAT. And I don't know necessarily what that stands for. But think about those like over the shoulder video cameras, like, Mm. they're not bringing their iPhones out here. It's really like things that require a lot of batteries, reels, it's a lot of equipment. And then Heather has this handheld camcorder that she's using. So It was necessary that there was that many people, especially that they were going to be going and filming in the woods because, I mean, you see their backpacks, they're loaded in just with equipment alone. So I don't necessarily know where they're from, but they drive to Burkittsville, Maryland, which was formerly known as Blair. They're going around and kind of getting B-roll and Heather gives Mm -hmm. a really bad... (laughs) I'm guessing it's purposefully bad, but really bad intro where she's overlooking this cemetery and being like, "Here lay the bodies of the seven children killed yes. by the Blair Witch." Like just <laughs> very pretentious film student. Which is funny because she says,
1: "I don't want to make this pretentious. Like I want this to be good." And then she has that pretentious shot, cute black
0: and white shot. I know with her overlooking. Yeah, it's really interesting. And I'll say a little bit more about the black and white versus color later because okay. I, I noticed some things. But they're filming this B-roll and they are going around and interviewing locals about what they know about the Blair Witch. And there's a couple people, you know, you got like some cranky old men. You have somebody who's claimed to see the Blair Witch before. You have this mom who's holding her toddler. What you're getting from this collection of interviews is that no one believes the same thing. There's a vein of consistency, but it's very thin. It's pretty much like, yeah, I've heard of her. She killed kids. And then, but then it's like, oh no, it was actually a dude who was possessed by the witch who killed the kids. And oh no, it was actually like this lady who lives in the woods who is covered in fur from head to toe and looks like a horse. And it's just like, huh? So you're getting the idea that the lore around this is not consistent. And I
1: appreciate that because I think that in the movie itself, like, I think it's easy in horror movies to, like, poke holes in the lore that movies establish. But in this case, the lore already had so many holes. So anything that happened in the movie made sense automatically because nothing was really set in stone.
0: Eventually, you find out that the lore is an old man who was either in possession of the witch or was influenced by the witch, took seven children, took them down to his basement by twos and made one face the corner while he killed the other one. Yeah, he didn't want the other
1: child to see killing of the first. And then after he killed the first, he would take whatever child from the corner of the wall and kill that child.
0: Right. And he said it was because he couldn't have their eyes on him yeah. or something like that. Like it was like a guilt thing. But either way, these interviews are filmed. Some are in black and white and some are in color. And I took that to mean that the ones that are in black and white are the ones that they like wanted for their documentary. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. And the ones in color were the ones that like didn't fit their narrative. So it's showing that they're going into this with a certain idea in mind of how they want to make this documentary.
1: That's a really good point. I was just thinking in terms of like, the black and white is from the DAT, like the big expensive camera and the color was just from Heather's handheld camcorder.
0: Maybe I'm reading too much into it. No, no, no. But that's, I mean, that's a
1: good point. I mean, we would hear her yell,
0: get the DAT. Like clearly there were things that she
1: wanted for the documentary.
0: Right. And the only reason I say so is because they film portions of the last lady who you can tell is like, they call her bogus and she's just like, quote unquote, crazy old woman, parts of it are in black and white. And then parts of it are in color where she starts talking about like the fur all over and whatever like that. So you could tell that they're editorializing a lot.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that your theory stands, obviously, because if the black and white and color literally show two different cameras being used, we know one is the good camera because the big stink is made over it when they can't get it back in time. Then yeah, I think they do editorialize. So they go around, they have their interviews around the town first, they have all of that established. We know that the lore is kind of vague, but we have that
0: prevailing idea of the
1: man who was possessed by or claimed to be possessed by the witch who killed seven
0: children in the woods. So they spend their first night in the woods, they get a bunch of B-roll and they wake up the next morning and Josh claims that he heard cackling at night but he's saying it in a very lighthearted way. Yeah, he's laying back in his sleeping bag,
1: like one arm over his head, like, yeah, like, I swear there was cackling. It was crazy.
0: And then Mike's like, if I heard cackling, I would shit my pants. Yep, sounds about right.
1: The whole first half of the movie, I was like, I am Mike. (laughs) I am Mike and
0: Mike is me. (laughs) And Heather's like, oh, I sleep heavy, so I didn't hear it or anything. But again, is it kind of like guys being dudes where he's trying to freak Heather out and trying to just kind of like play along with like, there's a witch in the woods or...
1: Neither of them seem like they're interested in doing that. I do have more I want to talk about on that later, but I would say at this point I didn't really pick up on them being kind of jokesters or tricksters intentionally.
0: So their idea was they... Filmed along the rocks, and they filmed in like a little cave situation, kind of telling the lore of the Blair Witch, and then they want to go hiking to this graveyard that apparently the seven kids are at, or the Blair Witch's house in the woods. They're trying to find that so that they can do some B-roll there. But it's becoming evident that Mike and Josh don't trust that Heather knows where she's going. Even
1: though she seems like she knows where she's going... She seems very confident. She never really seems to falter unless they're questioning her incessantly. And they are using a map, which neither of them seem to know how to use. Heather seems to be the only one that knows how to use that map, how to read that map. And she also seems familiar with the area.
0: So as they're going to the cemetery they're doubting her but heather is trying to be light-hearted she's making a lot of conversation and the guys are getting progressively more and more annoyed and i don't know if this is a gendered thing or this is just like a personality thing but i was thinking about this like who i am in terms of some people when they're stressed they try to talk themselves out of it and they try to fill the space because they don't like awkwardness and they don't like the silence and the guys are taking on a much more traditionally masculine where it's just like i'm gonna shut up because i'm mad and i'm a little nervous and i'm a little little scared and it's easier for me to be mad at you than it is for me to take any you know accountability or try to be encouraging or whatever but you could tell heather is really just trying to like yeah we'll be there it's like two hours it's fine no 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 i meant like two days it's fine like you know you know what i mean so it's just um she's annoying yeah she
1: definitely comes across as annoying because this is a super long conversation and we just like keep hearing her saying the same things and we keep seeing their concerns like Mike and Josh's concerns and I think also knowing that this is a scary movie I think we sympathize more with them because we know shit's about to go down and if they could only get out of the woods it would make things a lot easier because none of the shit would happen so I think in my head I'm kind of like starting to blame Heather at this point but I don't know I mean she keeps saying she knows where she's going
0: and we're gonna see this frustration throughout the rest of the movie is they don't like that she is filming them they're like why are you filming us like we're trying to film this documentary and all of a sudden you're making this about well i want to relish the moment and i want to film the process for like the behind the scenes or whatever so you can tell that they are just feeling like they're being Exploited, exploited, like, yeah, yeah, and they're annoyed because but there wouldn't be a
1: movie without her doing that. They're not trying to make a movie about them, I know, but there wouldn't be a movie about them making a movie. You know what I'm saying? Like the Blair Witch part. Like I think part of Heather's characterization had to be her insisting on documenting everything she can right, in order to have enough to make this scary flick that is posed as this found footage.
0: Yeah, but I guess I also get their frustration where like they signed on to film and do sound. They didn't sign right. on to be the punching bag for this Blair Witch in the Woods, mm. where Heather's obviously eating that shit up because she mm. knows it's going to be good content. They just signed on to do the tech. And that's about it. And all of a sudden, you're putting them in a situation where they're not comfortable with and more than they signed up for. They're not getting paid. This is just for a fucking grade. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just like no school project is worth this amount of huffing it at this point. And now they're annoyed because they packed for a weekend. And obviously, it grows far beyond that. Right. So they end up getting to, I don't know if it's the cemetery, but they end up finding these piles of rocks in a clearing.
1: Yeah, and they find these rocks significant, A, because they're in, well, there's like a main pile of rocks kind of in like a stick hold in a tree. And then there's several piles of rocks, like small rocks, I would say, surrounding the tree, obviously very deliberate. Somebody put them there, clearly. And they're in the middle of the woods. So who would have done that? A. And B, they remember that woman, I believe her name was Mary Brown, I think, the one who they thought was kind of a quack. (laughs) She had mentioned something about some Bible verse. I don't even think they showed us that footage, though. I think that they just mentioned that she had mentioned that. Like, they weren't even filming at that point, because they were so over her stories. But Heather is insisting, this is so interesting, like these rocks. Mary was talking about this. So she feels like they're getting close to something here. Like they're finding some witchy activity. And Mike is the one who's like, we gotta get out of here. Like, that's enough. Like, we gotta get out of here. So he seems like very easily quickly uncomfortable by their surroundings. Heather seems to insist to stay a little while longer. But eventually they kind of get what they came for. And I think
0: that they turn around to go home. But not before Josh accidentally knocks one of those piles (gasps) over. Oh! yes and Heather fixes it yes but that night is when spooky shit starts happening Mm mm-hmm so the next scene we see it's one of those waking up in the middle of the night you're seeing black you're hearing them breathe heavily they're all inside the tent together and you're hearing twigs snapping all around them like like as if you know a tree is coming down or as if people are legitimately just outside the tent breaking the sticks but it's coming from in every direction so they wake up the next day it's raining morale is down and josh and mike are very skeptical of the noises and annoyed at heather that she's making a big deal out of it they're just like yeah it rained like Of course, there's going to be sticks breaking, and they're like, okay, let's just get back to the car. And then the next scene we see, Heather is narrating, and Mike and Josh are leading the way, and she's like, no one's really speaking to me at the moment. (laughs) And they're frustrated because they're saying, I don't recognize any of this. Like, we didn't pass any of this. Why are we going back a different way than we came? And she correctly explains The route that we took from the car made sure that we could hit both of our filming locations, that we could hit the cave and that we could hit the cemetery. Now, where we're going is the direct route back to the car. Mm -hmm. So essentially, it's making a triangle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. going from point A to point B and then like doing the hypotenuse. Yeah. Going through a diagonal to point C. But they're gaslighting her, essentially. They're pretty much saying like, that doesn't make any sense. Why would you do it like that? We don't know where we're going. All of that kind of stuff. And again, she's like, two hours max. Come on, let's just keep going. And she says this, I counted five times. Come on, let's just keep going. Let's just keep going. And then the camera turns off and the next piece of dialogue we get is, I think we should camp.
1: (laughs) Wow. She never says that she doesn't know where she's going. She never admits it. But in that moment, it does seem like she doesn't know where she's going a little bit. Just because she says, let's just keep going, as if almost she wanted to see if she was right. But I mean, we never really know if she knew where she was going or not. (laughs)
0: But this is where frustration really starts to brood between the boys and her because once she says, I think we should camp, they're like, turn the fucking camera off, give me the map and get us home. So Josh at this point is revoking her map duties because they don't trust her. So we see the camera turn off with her giving Josh the map and Mike is just screaming in frustration into the woods like he's had it. He wants to go home and he's throwing a tantrum. They camp out again, and they're really talking about, I have work tomorrow. We're supposed to get the dad back. And then she's like, we're going to get to the car in the morning. Don't worry about it. Next thing you hear, there's more twig snapping, and then you hear rocks banging, like almost like rocks are being clapped against each other. Mm-hmm. This is really the first instance of Heather freaking out a little bit. She's like, what is that? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. But still kind of like writing it off a little bit. And this is where I wrote, is Heather acting this way to be maternal or to keep credibility or respect? Like, kind of going back to this, let's just keep going, all that kind of stuff. Like, is she being annoying and trying to keep, like, come on, guys, we got this, just two more hours? Like, is she trying to, like, take care of their frustrations and trying to, be like, remedy how they're feeling about mm-hmm. the situation? Or is she just desperately trying to cling on to any credibility that she has? And when that happens, that's when Josh takes the map away from her, that's like, takes the power away from her.
1: Yeah, cuz I guess in those moments where she feels her crew rebelling against her, you know, she's losing that sense of control and she's trying to talk her way out yeah, of it so, so desperately is she trying to hang on to that or is she feeling badly and she wants to be maternal? That's such a good question. And I'm not sure I'm thinking about, like, the difference either one of those motivations would make.
0: But that's the thing, because you see, like, when Mike's screaming, she's like, Mike, just please stop. Mike, we're okay. Mike, we'll be all right. Like, all that kind of stuff. But you see a little bit of both, where Mike, just please stop. Like, I'm telling you what to do. And Mike, it's all right. Like, come here, baby. You'll be okay. Like, you know, that kind of stuff. So it's a little bit of both. They wake up the next morning. They realize that the footage they took happened at 3 a.m., which is, like, super-duper creepy. And they find that there are three piles of rocks outside of their tent, like, surrounding the tent. And Josh is like, we're obviously not wanted here. Put the fucking camera down. We're getting out of here. And Heather's like, all right, all right, I'm doing it. And then she's getting close-up shots of the rocks and, and and shit like that and being annoying. They get away from the campsite. They pack up, and they start walking. And this is where they realize they no longer have the map.
1: Yes, and Heather immediately is like, Josh, like, where's the map? He's like, you have the map. And she immediately kind of is like, no, you have it. Are you messing with me? Like, you have it, I gave it to you, you have it. He keeps saying no. I think this is the first time we see Josh really kind of lose his cool. I think from the beginning, he's kind of been the steady Eddie, but he starts freaking out. How could you lose the map? That's so irresponsible. But she does not let go of the fact that she remembers giving it to him. So they're really kind of at the standoff. I don't even know what Mike is doing. Just like screaming fuck into the trees. Like I feel like he is doing every other shot (laughs) getting so upset. You are Mike. Mike I am Mike.
0: I am Mike. Mike is me. (laughs) Fuck. (laughs) I would just be crying though. And something I noticed about this scene is Josh is being like, Heather, man, you lost the map. That's not cool, man. Like They keep calling each other man, and that's the thing. You and I were talking about theories prior to this, and one of those theories is Josh and X, because it's like film school students, stuff like that. But this is where I think you could put to rest that neither of these dudes want anything to fucking do with Heather. They hate her, and they are annoyed with her. Yeah, that is such a good point. There
1: is no at any point any sort of physical or romantic chemistry between any of these characters and i think that even that dialogue kind of like puts the nail in that coffin
0: yeah i mean like can you imagine if a dude you were semi-attracted to called you man
1: i'd be like damn like that's it and also like i think that that is sort of interesting that they establish that level of like unfamiliarity between them in the beginning. Like, Heather and Josh are the closest, but even then, it seems like they just know each other the best in their film class and are partners for this assignment. And that is not... It's like school friends. Like, school friends aren't real friends until they become real friends. Like, maybe they could have been real friends after this, but at this point, they don't know each other. They haven't been together outside of that classroom setting enough to be real friends. And Mike... Mike and Heather have never met prior to this. So I feel like they don't know each other. And that adds another layer of like this tension, like not even knowing how to react in the situation because you just don't know this person, but also being able to be so much more angry because you don't know this person.
0: But then it's also the idea that Josh does a lot of peacekeeping between Mike and Heather. And if Mike and Josh are friends, he doesn't have any allegiance to Heather because during this map situation, he's like, all blame aside, this is really fucked up. No more blame game from now on. You know, we need to work together. Because Michael's just pissed at this and He's yelling and Heather's feeling really anxious. And he's like, no matter what happened, we just need to work together and and get back to the thing. Where in my mind, if a bitch got me lost in the woods and it's like me and my best friend and we're just like helping this person out, like, yeah, I wouldn't want to be talking to her either. And I I mean, granted, I would want to keep the peace, but I don't know that I'd be so understanding. But anyway, they go and cross, like, a little bit of a river, and Heather gets her shoes wet, Mm -hmm. even though Josh told her, don't do it like that, and she did it like that. So Yeah, and then the
1: next shot is them laughing at her wet shoes, and then she's upset because she feels like they're making fun of her, but Josh says, all of our shoes are wet, Heather. See, I really don't think Heather is... Like, she's frustrating, and I think part of the reason she's frustrating because she forces a lot of the camera shots we see, which we can tell are laced with discomfort, one from the boys and two from us feeling like Heather is infringing on some privacy of the witch, the quote-unquote witch, right? It's unnerving that she's filming for their sake and the sake of the, like, where's this going to take them? But I don't really think she's that annoying. Like, she seems smart. It seems like she put a lot of prep and time into this. And it seems like she just gets thrown off the more she's called out by these guys. And also, as the movie continues, weird geographical shit starts happening that kind of makes you wonder. Like, if we are to assume that there is some outside force working on this group of college students, which is keeping them kind of trapped in this wood setting, you know, maybe it really wasn't Heather's fault. And it's just part of making it seem like it was somebody's fault to play the blame game and and make them more vulnerable.
0: I also see it, though, that at this point, Heather hasn't taken accountability for anything. That's true. That's a she, really that's a really fucking good point. That's like, like, that's <laughs> the thing. Like, I think what it is... And granted, like, she didn't lose the map, so it's not like she should have taken blame for it. But in the sense that she's saying, oh, it's only two hours and it's been two days. What do you think her zodiac sign is? Oh, I don't fucking, it's it's something I don't like. (sighs) I feel like she's like a Virgo. Yeah. No
1: hate to Virgos, but Virgos always know what's going on.
0: And I think the attention to detail and, like, the need for control, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that's the thing. She refuses to believe that any part of this has been her fault up until this point. So if I were the dudes, yeah, I'd be annoyed too, where it's like, this was your idea. We're helping you out. Like, you're the one with the map, and we've been following your lead, and you've gotten us lost, and I have work tomorrow, and I just want to be back home. And even if she's not the reason it's ended up this way, she's the reason it started that they're even there to begin with. And because she's not taking that accountability, she does end up doing it in a pivotal scene later in the movie. But up until this point, she refuses to believe any of this is her fault. So they're laughing at her. And again, I just I I think it's because she refuses to let them react authentically to their situation they're just trying to lighten the mood and like we're tired we're hungry let's just get get some giggles and let's just laugh and he's like, you're laughing at me my shoes are wet and you like (laughs) and like you said like all of our shoes are wet heather like what's your issue her and josh start fighting with one another and mike is hysterically laughing right and he's like laughing and laughing and laughing and you know heather's like what's so fucking funny and he's just like i kicked that fucker into the creek the other day that map wasn't helping us at all And then all hell breaks loose. Yeah. I mean, it is Josh
1: and Heather against Mike, like, yelling, why would you do that? Why would you do that? Josh, like, goes to punch him. Yeah. And
0: Heather's just screaming hysterically, like, you're such a fucking asshole. Yeah.
1: And also, thinking back to that scene previous where... Mike was yelling at Heather, like, full on, like, how could you do that? How could you do that? Making her feel horrible for losing the map when really it was Mike who kicked it into the water. It's fucked up, right? So just fucked up
0: dynamics happening here. But I mean, we find out what happens to the map. Either way, Mike is apologetic, saying he's sorry, but he is still steadfast that Heather doesn't know what she's talking about. Yeah,
1: and that's frustrating because he insists she doesn't know what she's talking about, but he also kicks the map into the water. So I don't really know what made him feel comfortable to take that tool away from her. Like, if she didn't know what she was talking about, she's definitely not going to know what she's talking about now.
0: Yeah, and I think she's still trying to over-control the situation. And Josh turns to her and is like, I don't know why you can't admit that you've been fucked since the second you stepped out here. Oh, shit. Yeah, I mean, that's the moment. I mean, they're calling her out in the nth degree where she just thought they were going to go have a camping trip in the woods. And again, they don't know why they haven't made it back to the car. They don't necessarily buy into the supernatural stuff like the way Heather is. And I mean, if I'm in their situation, it's a lot easier to think that this girl doesn't know what the hell she's doing rather Mm -hmm. than the witch is after us in the woods. like, Well, yeah, I probably would be making
1: the choice to believe that the person I was with didn't know what they were doing. Because why would I want to fucking think that a fucking witch was after me? I would start hyperventilating.
0: Well, that starts happening next because they... (laughs) They continue walking, and they run into a clearing with stick people in the trees.
1: Yeah, stick people. They weren't, like, stick people like you would draw. They were, like, stick people. Like, all limbs looked similar in size, and they looked more like a cross with an X.
0: So these aren't baby Groots. They're more, like, really, like, (laughs) noodle-armed Groots. Yeah, like,
1: really tall, skinny, like, model. Like, America's Next Top Model Groots. (laughs)
0: High fashion groups. (laughs) And it's actually the sign of it is
1: what you see on the front cover of the movie. It's like the symbol of the movie.
0: So they see this. They're freaking out. Mike is crying at this point and screaming for help. You know, someone help us. Anyone help us. I am Mike and Mike is me. (laughs) You are Mike and Mike is you. And Josh is at this point pleading with Heather like, that's enough. Please stop taping. Please turn this off. Again, this is where I'm more so in their camp because she's exploiting their terror at this point. And even when they were on the bank of the shoreline with her wet shoes, part of me thought she was stirring up drama so she could have more film. You guys are making fun of me and my wet shoes. And she's holding a camera in their face. And they're like, just stop.
1: But also like, I feel like women oftentimes feel like people are making fun of them for no good reason. I mean, that's fair. Like they could be doing 10 million percent less and I could still see her being afraid they were making fun of her.
0: But they GTFO out of there, but they still end up having to camp out again for another night because they still don't know where the hell they are.
1: Yeah, this is the night where the camera turns on. We, we hear those familiar noises like the rock bangs, the twig snaps, but we also hear the faint sound of a baby crying in the distance
0: and people yelling and yeah screaming.
1: yeah and they don't know what to do because again the sound sounds like it's coming from everywhere and at this point we start to hear dialogue like don't go towards that don't go towards that
0: and then of course heather's like
1: get the dad ready like heather yeah oh, but how do you even think about the dad? i think i would just die shay like i think i would just die yeah because their tent starts shaking too yeah. oh my God. And then they get up
0: and run out of the tent. And this is like, in my opinion, one of the spookier scenes of the movie. Mike runs out first and then Heather and then Josh. But you just see Josh running with the dad on his shoulder. Heather's in all white. Everything around her is dark, but you just see her and her beanie kind of bopping and just like running through the woods and you hear her screaming, what the fuck is that? And oh, he's trying to God. he's trying to turn his camera up to the trees, but you know, we can't see shit. Mm-hmm. But I mean, she almost looks like a ghost just like yeah. running through the woods because it's just blackness and you just see her running for her life ahead of Josh and it's scary.
1: And they make it eventually into some sort of clearing and they kind of like duck down, turn off all the camera lights and they stay there until dawn breaks
0: Yeah, they like just sit there in silence for a couple hours until the sun starts to rise. Then they go back to camp and find that Josh's belongings have been strewn all over the campsite.
1: Mm -hmm. And that there's some sort of like weird goo on some of his belongings.
0: But then there's some interesting dialogue because Heather's like, did you hear that baby crying? And Josh is like, there wasn't a baby. So at this point, I'm like, are they hearing different things or is he gaslighting her?
1: That's interesting. We know that they're hearing some of the same things.
0: Like, that's the thing. Did they just leave the tent because it was shaky? Like, I'm wondering, like, is the Blair Witch almost the Pennywise where it's like that you see what's afraid of? Then why would Heather hear a baby? Exactly. There's
1: no backstory about Heather that would make it make sense for her to hear a baby.
0: Right. I think it's easier to believe that Josh is in denial or Josh is... I could see that. Or again, trying to gaslight her if this is, like... Whatever. Alternate theories. Yeah, alternate theories, if this is a setup. But Heather's getting conspiratorial at this point because she's like, why you? Why your belongings? Right. He's like, you're still doing your fucking documentary thing.
1: Turn it off i would be really mad because that's a fucking terrifying question like if if somebody was like why you why your belongings your shit's covered in like fucking radioactive sludge like why you i would be so mad i would just not want to talk about it i would be like please can we get out of here
0: Yeah, and this is where we start to see Josh lose his sanity a little bit.
1: Yeah, so they're walking in the woods, and their plan from when they lost the map, I believe, was to go south. They were just going to go south, follow the river, go south, whatever, because they had a compass. And I believe that this is the day where they're walking south still, and then they all of a sudden come to the same tree that they had previously crossed, meaning that they had been walking south and all of a sudden they found themselves in the same place that they started maybe a day or two prior. So at that point, all morale is just completely obliterated. And I think that paired with Josh's stuff being thrown all over the place, like he really loses any optimism that he has left.
0: Yeah. He starts like playing with the camcorder and he's like, I see why you like this so much. You can pretend that things aren't the way that they really are. And it's like, ooh, like, I mean, yeah, your situation is fucked. And again, we're only seeing what she wants us to see. So what is happening when the camera turns off? Like, that's just as scary.
1: Yeah. And it's like this moment. I mean, Heather starts crying. Mike starts yelling, fuck, into the trees again. Josh. Fuck you,
0: God. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, And
1: Josh, I'm not sure what he's doing, yelling, probably doing the same thing. I mean, everyone's just in complete disbelief. It's crazy. Even Heather herself is in some denial. She's the last one to admit that it is the same tree.
0: Yeah, she keeps saying, it's okay, it's okay, yeah, yeah, it's okay. Yeah.
1: Or it's, and then, then she eventually is like... She lets herself kind of break down, I think, for the first time. Like, that really is a moment for everyone. So they change their plan. They're still trying to walk. They're still trying to get out. I mean, what else can they do? They have to keep trying to get out. And the next scene, the camera turns on and Heather is just telling Mike, you have to get him up. You have to get him up. And we just like see the camera pan over and Josh is just like laying under a tree, like not moving, completely dejected. Like, he just doesn't want to keep walking
0: yeah and this culminates in josh exploding at heather after they realize that they're fucked essentially he shoves the camera in her face and is just like you're filming a documentary for school and there's a blair witch after you and you haven't eaten for five days and you've slept in the cold for five days and you don't know where you're going and you are missing people are looking for you but no one can find you that's your motivation that's your motivation and it's just, like, breaking her down and, like, just really berating her because, I mean, that's the thing. She's been shoving cameras in their faces mm-hmm. this entire time. And this is one of the few times we really see her without a camera in her hand at all. True, yeah. she's just the subject of the shot. And Mike's like, dude, calm down. And he's just like, she's still making movies. That's my point. Again, he is not as angry that they are lost as he is angry that she is still so focused on capturing things for mm. this project And not as focused on getting out, getting their making their situation better. Mm -hmm. Heather, in a very defeated voice, goes, "It's all I have left. Please Mm. stop." Oh, damn! Next shot we see they're camping again. They all apologize to each other. Mm -hmm. They make up nice until the next morning. Josh is missing.
1: Yeah, and we see the camera turn on to Heather and Mike screaming, Josh, Josh, into the forest, not hearing anything, talking about, well, if he went to the river, he would answer. If he was close, he would answer. Like, he would answer, he'd answer. Where would he have gone? Where would he have gone? They don't know what to do, right? Like, do you stay? Do you go? And they ultimately decide that they're going to keep going and hope that they can find him or meet up with him. They're not sure if maybe he got sick of them and left on his own. Doesn't seem likely since they did make up the night before. (laughs) Really fucking scary.
0: Yeah, and this is where the days aren't getting recorded nearly as much. There's a shot of them just sitting next to each other. Mike and Heather sitting next to each other and leaning against each other and just kind of like sitting in silence together. And then it cuts immediately to that night setting up the tent again. And they hear yelling and crying Ugh. in the night. And it sounds like Josh.
1: Yeah, just agonizing yelling. And they keep yelling his name, but he, you know he's not answering them directly. And eventually the yelling stops.
0: Something that's good with the noise, too, is you can't tell in what direction it's coming from. You can't necessarily pinpoint that it's actually him, but it does sound like him. And even Mike asks, do you think it's them fucking with us? Because I think Mike has settled it into his head that there are locals who want them out of their woods. Mm -hmm. And he's taken up to that theory to make himself feel better. I don't think that he believes that there's a witch. Still, at this point, he thinks that it's more of some sadistic people that are trying to confuse them and trying to intimidate them. But the next morning, they wake up with a gift outside their tent. Yeah, Heather finds a little, like,
1: stick wrap. (laughs) Stick burrito.
0: A little stick burrito. uh,
1: Outside their door. I would say maybe it's, like, two feet long.
0: Yeah, it's essentially just a bundle of sticks that are tied together with pieces of Josh's shirt. Yes. And Heather takes it,
1: she kind of throws it to the side to get it out of the way. She doesn't want Mike to see it. Right. Which I think is kind of a nice, I think that's nice (laughs) of her (laughs) to a certain extent. But eventually Mike wakes up and, you know, they kind of go about their day, blah, blah, blah. They separate for a little bit. Heather goes back to inspect the burrito (laughs) and she unravels it and finds, like, what looked like to me like an undescript bundle of like blood and like teeth.
0: It was teeth. Yeah. I know because I read something that the directors just asked a dentist for pulled teeth and Ew. they gave it to
1: him. <laughs> ah! I, I mean, I really couldn't tell.
0: I thought it was like a tongue and teeth.
1: That I thought, I thought it was going to be maybe like a finger, but it was too like blobby. Yeah. And then she just kind of washes her hands and she never tells Mike about it.
0: Yeah, she's talking herself down and just kind of creating calm for herself and doesn't tell Mike about what she found. And I think that informs a little bit of what happens later in Mike's decisions later.
1: Oh, because he doesn't know? Yeah. That's a really good point.
0: Yeah, I hadn't thought about that till right now. Okay, that makes a lot of fucking sense. Okay, 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 okay. It cuts again to to presumably that night and it's a close-up on Heather's face. And... (laughs) She's very snotty, very cryy. And that that scene's been mocked a bunch of times where it's I know, but
1: I always appreciate a good
0: crying scene with snot. No, it's realistic.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Is it fun to look at? Does it take you a little bit out of the moment? Yeah. (laughs) But it should. Yeah.
0: I mean, she is obviously very upset. She's apologizing to her mom, Joshua's mom, Mike's mom. She admits that she was naive and takes responsibility for everything that happened. She's like... I insisted on everything. Everything had to be my way. And this is how we ended up. I'm so sorry. She's hearing more noises to her left. And she starts crying harder. And then the camera shuts off.
1: So then shortly after that scene, the camera comes back on. And Josh's voice is heard again. And there's some discussion about, like, is it him? It's not him. It's it's him. It's him. It's him. It's, him, it's not him. Right. And then Mike, who is the closest with Josh, we know. They were friends before this whole shenanigan. And Mike kind of bolts into the woods to follow the voice and Heather is taping. She follows with the little camcorder. So they're running through the woods and Heather is more reluctant than we've seen her the whole movie. She's like, no, Mike.
0: And Mike is more brave than we've ever seen him.
1: Exactly. Which maybe, I mean, after all this time in the woods, like maybe you just stop giving a fuck. Maybe you're like, my friend's out there. Like he's closer than he's ever been. He's telling us to come to him. I'm going to go to him. Mike finds this old, dilapidated house. It's so dilapidated, it almost looks like a house frame, like there's no windows. It's just like a skeletal house that clearly has just been abandoned for many, many years. They find it. Mike wants to go inside. Heather says no, but Mike runs inside anyway.
0: Yeah, and the voice is being as commanding as it's ever been. Before, it was just like undescript screaming and a cry for help, but this, you hear presumably Josh screaming, Please follow my voice, follow my voice, come help me, like that kind of stuff. So you have to wonder are we hearing what Mike is hearing now? Like, are they hearing different things? Like, is Heather hearing that as Josh or no?
1: Is she hearing it at all or is she yeah. confused about what Mike is doing?
0: That's interesting. Again, I don't know that there's grounding to that, but it would almost inform the level of gaslighting that has been happening throughout the entire movie of like, if she's seeing things a certain way, here's my pitch to that. She wants so badly for this Blair Witch thing to come to fruition. Like the other two guys don't give a fuck. I mean, maybe maybe Josh gives a fuck because it's his film grade, but Mike doesn't give a fuck. And even I'm thinking like the pile of rocks, like, yeah, it's weird, but is it indicative of something? I don't know. The stick people, the noises. You're in the middle of a forest, like stones are going to bang and things are going to snap. Like, and I'm not putting anything by that, but Heather has been wanting to like make this movie. And Heather wants to hear these things like so badly And Mike and Josh didn't. But now, Mike, all he wants is to hear his best friend. He wants mm-hmm. to know where Josh is. Mm-hmm. He wants to find these things. So maybe it's just like giving you what you want. Or is it that they're a little unstable because mm-hmm. they're food deprived and water deprived and, and sleep deprived? And, and it's cold as hell. And, you know, are they like hallucinating at this? Like that, that again, that's just my pitch of like, mm-hmm. are things exactly as they seen it? Like if Heather looks into the sky and sees like this huge stick person, but they don't, or they're trying to play it off like, yeah, it's sticks or whatever. They Mm -hmm. don't, but you know what I'm saying? Right. Okay. I see what you're saying. It's not a perfected theory. It's like we get to the
1: point where, like, are our narrators
0: reliable? Yeah, exactly.
1: Mike is in the house. He's really leading this two-person crusade into the house to try to find Josh. And they're kind of in, like, the living room area, kind of running in circles. And then Mike is like, I'm going to go upstairs. I'm going to go upstairs. I'm coming upstairs. He runs around upstairs. Heather eventually follows him upstairs. She's looking around. She doesn't see anything. Almost as quickly as Heather gets upstairs, Mike yells, it's coming from the basement. So he runs back down the stairs, which, by the way, I don't even know how those stairs didn't fucking break. So dangerous. And so he runs downstairs. Mike has the dat. He gets downstairs. And then all of a sudden, we hear kind of a scream and then the camera just falls. So then we cut back. Because throughout the movie, there have been a couple moments where, like, whoever found this video and put it together, like, the shots from this camera and this camera, if they were both at the same time at the same moment. So that camera falls. So we're back to looking at the handheld camcorder by Heather. She's still upstairs. Like, she's scared. She can, like, hardly keep up. Also, like, it's a house, a dilapidated house at night. Maybe she's trying to at least look where she's going. So she finally runs downstairs, and she's yelling Mike's name. I think she hears him scream. So she starts yelling his name even louder. Whatever. She's freaking the fuck out, as expected. And she gets downstairs. She's still filming. And we get a shot of Mike... Standing in the basement corner.
0: And then Heather's camera falls. End of movie. Boom. That's That's it. it.
1: (laughs) So we're kind of to assume that there was some alignment here with the lore of the children. They're brought into the basement by twos. One stands in the corner while the other is killed. And then I guess the other is killed. Yeah. So it really does end up aligning more with that 1940s tale of what's his face? Who kills the children?
0: Rustin Bar, I think. Yeah,
1: and I guess we're to assume that that's his house.
0: But just like we were talking about earlier, it makes sense for Mike to go after Josh if he doesn't know about the missing teeth.
1: That does make a lot more fucking sense.
0: Because there's a theory that you and I both looked into after this. Uh Essentially, that theory being that Mike and Josh are kind of in cahoots to murder Heather. And support for that theory is that Mike seems to run into that house with no fear. And he seems to know the layout of that house super duper well and does a bunch of changing directions to disorient Heather on purpose so that him and Mike can no, him and Josh. Yes. Can kind of like end up getting her in the basement where they
1: want her. And it's kind of far-fetched. If you watch the video by the film theorists, if you watch that video, I think it's interesting. It kind of gives a little bit more context. Like, for example, no one knew they were going to be in the woods. Also, there's all of this gaslighting. Also, Josh is the last one to have the map. How would Mike get the map if he was never the map guy? At one point, he's quoted to say, this is all Greek to me, right? Why would he get the map if it wasn't Josh who gave it to him? There's a point where that famous disorienting moment where they find themselves back at the same fallen tree, even though they've been traveling south. There's a moment before that where it looks like they stop and Josh and Mike make them change directions, which could be just enough to disorient Heather and make them go back around. So there are like a couple of moments that I can kind of see, okay. But also, the motivation for killing Heather is kind of what is lost. There's nothing, yeah. Also, like, like, who shook the tent if they were all in the tent? And, like, who threw Josh's shit all over the place if they were all hiding out in that little clearing? So there's just, like, enough that doesn't really align. But, like Shay said, the most quote-unquote damning piece of circumstantial evidence is Mike completely breaking from his very scared and timid character and running through that house without any fear, dragging Heather through that house. But you're right. If he knew about Josh's teeth, and also like the fact that Josh was yelling, like, I'm in here, follow my voice. Would your voice still sound the same if you're missing like a fucking skull full of teeth? It would probably sound quite different.
0: Yeah, exactly that. I mean, yeah, because a lot of that theory sits in that nothing supernatural ever actually happens. It's a bunch of sticks and stones.
1: And the broken bones. Broken
0: teeth. Yeah. Literally, yeah. But <laughs> again, another part of that theory that I don't like is that Mike's the sound guy. He can he can set up little stereos. Yeah. It is 1999. And it was raining like the whole
1: fucking time.
0: It's not like you're hiding little Beats microphones in the fucking leaves. This is 1999. Think of how big, like, stereo systems were at the time. You have that hidden in your backpack.
1: I think that what you said about Mike's ignorance about the teeth is why he could run into that house. Because in his mind, he had no reason to believe that Josh wasn't still alive. Or that Josh wouldn't sound exactly as Josh would sound. Whereas Heather knew that he was missing a face full of teeth and was likely dead.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the movie. <laughs> in terms of bringing it back to women's representation and things of that nature, this movie is obviously like a pretty clear example of gaslighting. If we believe that Josh and Mike think they know better, or if Josh and Mike are in cahoots. But either way, they don't want to believe that Heather knows what she's talking about. But Heather is so unreliable as a narrator that we don't know that she does know what she's talking about. We don't know that if they did stay coarse... Because they never even found the graveyard. They just found a weird clearing with a bunch of rock stones. That's very true. Because I wrote, like, is that the graveyard? No, it's not. It's just a random ass clearing. So, like, Mm -hmm. she's proven herself unreliable enough that it's hard to advocate for her. But at the same time, what I'm seeing is, especially, I imagine, in 1999, the level of desperation for a woman filmmaker to make something good and to be taken seriously cuz my whole thing is like why this movie like why why is it that you're putting yourself in this situation so much And granted, like, my art, you could say it that way, but I'm thinking that this is the thing that she really wants to do, and this is the thing she really wants to succeed in, and knowing that film, at least up until that point, has been a primarily male-dominated industry in terms of directorial stuff, she wanted that prestige, and she wanted to be taken seriously, and you kind of see what that loss of control does to her throughout the rest of this movie. She doesn't end up taking responsibility until like night seven because she is so steadfast in thinking that she can still control the outcome of the situation by filming more and by talking over everybody and mm-hmm. by lifting spirits and taking care of everything. But she can't. But it makes me
1: wonder, because of that, we walked in a circle thing. Mm-hmm. When does Heather's knowledge stop and whatever forest charm begin? Right. Because, I mean, she proved herself knowledgeable enough to get them to that one rock where they had that discussion before they were supposed to hit up the cemetery. Mm -hmm. So did it happen somewhere in there? But you're right. I mean, as far as taking accountability goes, I mean, she never really admits to herself that she lost control until night seven, like you said. But was that her fault?
0: And you could argue that she's at least confident because she's steadfast in not being gaslighted about losing the map. She's like, I did not lose the map. That's true. And she didn't. Mm Mm-hmm. So the elements of control she does have, she has command over them. But I think it's her wanting to mitigate the way that boys react to the situation that they're in. Mm-hmm. And again, like wh- how I brought up earlier, is it maternal or is it that she's a kind of like a control freak? Mm-hmm. She is trying so hard to make them feel a certain way and to make them react a certain way. Or she is so just kind of unagreeable to how they're naturally reacting to things. Like right. if he wants to scream fuck you, God, into the woods. Let the man scream, (laughs) fuck you, God, into the woods. Mm -hmm. Don't just be like, Mike, stop. Like, yeah, of course that's going to be fucking annoying.
1: I'm thinking too, like, as a woman making this film with two men, like, she doesn't have any other women on her crew. It's like her and these two other guys, like, maybe she feels extra pressure to be impressive and to prove that she knows what she's doing because she doesn't have any other women working with her. Also, if I'm thinking of the gaslighting, not in terms of this is a ruse to trap heather and kill her in the basement of this house i think the gaslighting is just an unhealthy coping mechanism that a lot of men have and women too i mean we could argue that heather if she doesn't know what she's doing we could argue that her insisting that she does know what she's doing is gaslighting the boys Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: like undermining their natural reaction that they want her to admit
0: that something is wrong right I'm just laughing because this brings it back to men just don't want to ask for fucking directions. <laughs> They're like, give me the map. Like, I can <laughs> I can figure it out. You can't figure it out. Like, well, Heather, well, Heather, I mean, I guess
1: she could have gotten help from the boys, but neither of them even knew what the map said.
0: I know. It just made me think that back is so to the, like funny. All they had to do. But even the fact that Mike kicked it into the creek. He's like, we don't need this.
1: That's fucking crazy to me. Yeah. That is the craziest part of the whole movie.
0: Why? Why would he do that? Again, was it to, like, in a sick way to almost test how much Heather actually knew... Or was it Mm. just his frustration and, like, that was the proverbial drywall to put his fists through because he was frustrated? (laughs) The proverbial drywall. Like, I'm just thinking, like, he's the most aggressive of the three and especially out of him and Josh. I could see him being the most
1: hot-headed and and in the moment. Yeah,
0: he's screaming and cussing and and throwing shit. So it's just like, yeah, I could see him just acting that way because that is what came natural to him. And that was the easiest way to hurt Heather is by taking away Mm. her safety blanket That's true, because that was her
1: kind of command post. Mm -hmm. He takes that away, he kind of undermines her. Like a quick way to get back at somebody you're pissed at, I guess.
0: But that's Blair Witch Project. Yeah. There is a whole Blair Witch universe, there's sequels and remakes, and like these mockumentaries. There's more than one mockumentary... There's video games. The website is still up. Like, the Blair Witch website is still up wow. to explore and read Heather's journal and look for clues in there. And, like, the Wikipedia is just, like, huge. So there's, like, a much larger universe to be built on because of this movie. And and this was just a snippet. I oh, Lots.
1: Yeah. So next week, we're talking about Suspiria, the original from the 1970s. Yeah. That was requested. So... We're looking forward to doing it.
0: We love a bunch of dancy witches. We yeah. just love our witches, apparently. Yeah. Well,
1: I mean, they're a, a staple, I
0: think, in horror, aren't they? Yeah, we've, Supernatural just, been, we've just been consistent in our, in our reporting. We
1: love the witches.
0: We're moving away from woodsy witches to prancing ones. Yes,
1: we love a prancing witch. Yeah. But until then, definitely email us at the horrors podcast at gmail.com or follow us on instagram at the same exact name the horrors podcast
0: and until next time we're the horrors bye bye